this episode, we'll finish our in-depth examination of our partnership with Phrase Health. And joining us again is Dr. Mark Tobias, founder and CEO of Phrase Health. Mark, glad to have you back. Glad to be back with you, Tom. So let's get to it. What is clinician decision analytics and how does it help improve clinical variation? So for better or worse, healthcare delivery revolves today around the EHR. And EHRs do a lot of things really well. And one of those is auditing all of the actions that clinicians take when they're interacting with it. And what this does is this gives us a window or a data footprint into those clinical workflows. So we will look at things like clinical decision support tools, alerts that are firing, order sets, documentation, all of those little footprints and how they're being adopted, what actions are being taken, and so on. And really what this allows us to identify is variation with how people are interacting with these tools and how they are working within these clinical workflows. Are there burdensome clinician workarounds that they are taking that may lead to things like alert fatigue or unnecessary extra clicks of something that maybe should be in an order set but is not? And finally, and importantly, also looking at opportunities that could be cost drivers. So for example, identifying expensive medications that are being ordered compared to peers in certain workflows and for certain cohorts of patients. So how important are alerts or order sets or other clinical tools? Can you tell us how the use of evidence-based alerts or order sets can improve outcomes? Because I'll be honest with you, I go through flag fatigue myself. Yeah, I will just start off by saying they are incredibly important. And at the end of the day, clinicians are human Mm -hmm. and they don't always make all the optimal choices for every patient, every moment. And this is particularly true when you then put them in a busy care environment. And just as some examples, you can envision overlooking an allergy. So needing that decision support of a warning to come up to let you know, maybe practicing based on training you did 20 years ago in residency rather than following the newest literature or even just not having the time or finding finding the right historical data that is needed. And increasingly relevant, you think about things like personalized medicine and pharmacogenetics. And I don't know about you, Tom, but I don't know all of the genetic markers to look for and how they impact every drug that my patient is on. Yep. So starting to see some organizations go into providing alerts to recommend changing doses based on these genetic markers. Now, the trick really is how do you implement these tools in the EHR in a way that makes the right thing, the easy thing to do? And what has been established is there's good literature that shows that if you require a clinician to go outside of their workflow, open up a window, take extra actions to find this decision support, it significantly reduces the chance of it succeeding. You can think, I don't know what I don't know, so why am I going to go out to this other tool to find it? And one of my colleagues from fellowship actually described it like modern mobile phones and navigation. Based on knowing the time of day and your location, it knows that you're at work. And before you even leave the office, tells you here's some alternative routes to take based on traffic patterns. You can think about that as opposed to kind of oftentimes what happens in the EHR. And in that analogy, you get in your car, you drive, you hit traffic, and then the phone is telling you, well, why don't you try these alternative routes? So how do we get people more upstream and guide them kind of in an unobtrusive way is really the goal of kind of this field and the software that we're trying to provide. And when it's done poorly, it could lead to a lot of frustration and really bad results. And one of my mentors in fellowship, Dr. Bimal Desai, 
co-authored a paper where they minimized the number of drug-drug alerts in the system that weren't driving a lot of benefit. And they actually found signal based on reducing just the total amount of noise in the system. They found signal that it actually improved the leftover alerts that were in the system, which kind of shows you that when you have this huge cloud of tools that are bombarding people, they just get so used to just flying through them. Well, on the other side of the spectrum, I alluded to this in our previous podcast, but you have groups like at the University of Pennsylvania and their nudge unit, which found that setting defaults in an order set encouraged generics for their target orders from 75% to 98% and estimated savings for the health system to about $32 million. So you can kind of see how these behavioral nudges and getting people to make better decisions can really drive important change, but we just have to do it smart. Okay, so that makes sense to me, but how are clinicians engaged in this work? I mean, do they really benefit? Yeah, we see clinicians engaging in all sorts of activities around this type of work. So you have the clinical informatics team clearly engaged in designing and building these workflows. We've seen a lot of quality and safety teams engaging with this content because they also recognize that a lot of care happens via the electronic health record and workflows go through there. You have subject matter experts who are involved in curating and making sure the content is up to date and following best practice. And then finally, we see a lot of clinicians who are just interested about their own care environment and want to see how things are being done and ways to improve it. So we've heard about clinicians who kind of talk about shouting into the void. There was one CMIO who acknowledged that there were a lot of clinicians out there suffering in silence, he said. But giving data and insights back to these folks so that they can actually have transparency into the system is incredibly important. And I think one thing that we've also been very successful at and have been really delighted to see is being able to bridge silos and educating about the malleability of the EHR. There's a surprising number of clinicians that I speak to where they just say, oh, the EHR is really bad. They put these alerts and tools into the system that don't work and they just then move on to the next thing. Not fully knowing that there's a local dedicated team of people who are working really hard to curate these systems and to really try to improve their experience while also driving improved outcomes for patients. So you've mentioned about the importance of order sets. So can you tell the audience just how we can help organizations develop these order sets? Yeah. So as I alluded to before, order sets are really integral pillars of an organization's workflow. And importantly, they're curated by the organization. So when they're not adopted appropriately, it leaves a lot of this chance for variation. And this is really where Phrase Health shines. So we provide insight into this ordering variation across different departments, specialties, providers, provider types, and so on. And then they get to know how their order sets are being used in practice and where some of these order sets are not being used and opportunities to kind of streamline some of that. So one example of a measure that we provide insight into is orders within five minutes. And what that means is if a clinician uses an order set on a patient and then outside of that order set starts placing other ad hoc orders, we can track is that because they're trying to do a workaround and that order was specifically left off the order set? Or is it a sign that maybe we didn't design the order set appropriately and that order was just overlooked and we can save some clicks by kind of just incorporating it into that workflow? So we help in a lot 
lot of these different ways and ultimately support these stakeholders in getting buy-in on these changes. And then finally, the last piece is we provide a very thin governance layer on top of our software to really help these organizations manage, review what oftentimes is several hundred, if not over thousands of these pieces of content, which is a huge lift. And kind of consolidating that all into a single platform is really one of the core value propositions that we provide. That fascinates me because it's actually really involving the clinicians and getting a lot more buy-in, like you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, Mark, you can't fix what you can't measure. So what metrics should you be considering in performance and outcomes from electronic tools like an order set? Yeah. So the first step there is just looking at build utilization. So how are these different tools being used? And importantly, are they being used as intended? So at a very fundamental level, did the clinician use the order set? Is an alert being acted on or ignored? Another kind of interesting measure that we help organizations track is signaling a sign of burden. And what I mean by that for something like an alert is if you look at the total number of firings, that's really not an accurate assessment of how burdensome an alert is. For example, take an alert that fires 10 times. Does it fire once each to 10 different people? Or is it firing 10 times all to a single person? So how these alerts are designed can really have variable impacts onto different departments, different provider types. And being able to get insight into where you should focus is incredibly important. Moving beyond just the utilization, you really want to start looking at, well, how are these tools actually associated with outcomes? Because it's really unrealistic to say, well, we implemented this alert and that decreased length of stay. There's a lot of intermediary processes that we'd want to look at and see, well, how is it impacting what in the QI world or quality improvement world is referred to as process measures? And we follow quality framework to address this as looking at our interventions, our process measures, and our outcomes and really answer five key questions. Is the intervention being used? Is the intervention driving the process measure? Is the process measure changing in the way that we would expect? Is the process measure driving the outcome measure as we would expect? And finally, and most importantly to many, I'm sure, listening, is the outcome measure changing in the way that we want to? And Mark, I think it's important to remind everybody also that this opportunity is not only the inpatient realm, but we can do this in the outpatient and ambulatory realm as well. Definitely. I don't want to ignore our ambulatory colleagues here, but yeah, they kind of struggle with a lot of the same issues of having the right tools available at the right time. Clinician burnout is a big topic these days, and staffing shortages affecting healthcare systems around the country. Do these alerts, order sets, and other tools require additional clicks for clinical staff? By looking at the data, we're actually helping health systems to remove what we call just garbage from the system. When I started working on some of the software, I was working at an organization where they had alerts in the system for over a decade. They didn't know why they were there. They didn't know if it was useful. People were ignoring them when you looked at the data. So we really actually help health systems reduce the burden of the EHR on their clinical staffs by identifying low yield alerts, not just purely by firing, but what are the alerts that are actually not driving the outcomes that they're intended to be built for, as well as saving clicks. So streamlining those order sets so that clinicians aren't having to remember after they fill out their order set, that they need to order these other random orders as well. And we do have a case study on our website with one of our clients, Virtua Health. 
we actually saved them five hours of nursing time per day by using our software. They were able to identify several ineffective alerts that were recommending nursing documentation that was ultimately deprioritized at the onset of the COVID crisis. And it is worth just calling out that this is five hours per day Mm. of just what we call alert dwell time, or the amount of time based on just the total number of alerts that are hitting them that they are not being exposed to anymore. This does not even include the amount of actual in-documentation time that was ultimately saved as part of that project. That's impressive. So many listeners may not know about the relative new boarded specialty of clinical informatics. Can you tell us more about the role these teams have within a healthcare system? Yeah, so it's a relatively new board certified specialty. And I think with the advent of broad adoption of electronic health records, the field recognized the importance of having clinicians who are formally trained in a variety of tools and project management, the intricacies of healthcare data, and really importantly, being able to translate these clinical workflow requirements to non-clinical IT stakeholders. So when they're building these tools, you're not relying on an IT person to know, well, what is the workflow of an emergency physician, but actually having that translator who can kind of talk to how these tools should be adopted. And at the end of the day, these clinical informatics specialists are also responsible for all of these clinical decision support tools that are built into the electronic health record system and really are kind of the crux of a lot of the drivers of cost and quality for the organization. And kind of going back to the context of clinical decision analytics overall, they have the responsibility of acting as the gatekeeper to make sure that every idea that pops up is not just getting implemented and that these tools are being very well thought out and that they're taking a data-driven approach to make sure that they're being effective. And also reviewing this content and ensuring that this large library of thousands of alerts and order sets and documentation templates and so on are really up-to-date, aligned with best practices and working as expected. So it is a new specialty, and I'm sure all the health systems that are listening to this call have a dedicated team who has these experiences and expertise at the organization. Thank you, Mark. And this has been a fantastic series. I know our listeners have appreciated your thoughts. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. And if any of our listeners would like to contact Mark, we've put his email address in the resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to Modern Practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me in our email at modernpracticepodcast.com. We've posted the link in our resource section as well. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva. Thank you so much for listening.